This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Hey, 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 welcome to Talking Halos. This is Derek C. Apollo with John Crane in our midweek show. Talk a little bit about the Dodgers and Angels and a weird two-game set that the Angels took both games. And also we have ourselves a preview with Rays, sometimes play-by-play man, but also pre- and post-game showrunner Neil Solons with a, a big view on how that franchise is doing and what we can expect in this series. So, John, it's all to you. How you doing, man? Derek, if only for today, we are the kings of Los Angeles. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with it, with our our performance in the against the Dodgers. That's that's a, a good moral victory for Angel fans who live in Southern California, especially. Well, it was it was really neat to watch, especially the first game because that first game reminded me a lot of the old Socha days when this team kind of just won on grit. They go in there in, in the eighth inning and. They just run the base as well. They draw walks. They they take advantage of mistakes, and all of a sudden they have a five three win. That's what it reminded me of when when that game got pulled out there. And then of course last night five runs in the first inning, and just a totally different game with the same score. I just enjoyed both games and what they really meant. All of a sudden thirty three and thirty five. When we're thinking, hmm, Dodgers and the Rays. Oh lordy, by the time the Toronto's could be a train wreck. Nope, not at all. I was just blown away again. Griffin Canning going six innings, no, uh, yeah, going six innings, and uh, the bullpen shutting it down. Bullpen throwing blanks. So wait, John, you're not like shooting blanks right at the firing range, are you? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, they they put up some scoreless runs. I'm complimenting them. They didn't they didn't get a run. I, I love it. Okay, all right, folks. Before we get started here. 
If you like what we're doing, please check us out on iTunes and subscribe. We would also really appreciate a five-star review to help us move up the charts. And if you want to earn it, great. Email us at TalkingHales at gmail.com and give us your feedback. If you're a new listener and are enjoying this show, please do us a favor. Please text a fellow Angels fan and let them know about our podcast. It would mean the world to us. And one more thing we'd like to do, by the way, we kind of missed a little bit of Memorial Day, but we'd like to honor our veterans. And me being one of them, I know what it means to serve, and I, I really appreciate anybody who served with me, all my comrades in arms and those who came before me. So this is what we want to do. For the next podcast, if you could, if you're an Angels fan and you're a veteran, please respond to our tweet on Twitter or just send us a voicemail at 657-665-453 or even email at talkinghalos at gmail.com and let us know who you are. Let us know where you served and when you served and your best Angels memory, and we'll read them on the air for you this Sunday night. We'd really like to do that for you. Thank you for all your service, all you veterans. We really appreciate all you've done for us to keep this country free. And uh, it's just, again, thank you. All right, John, you ready to go? Yeah, I am. So the Angels won Monday's game 5-3. They win Tuesday's game 5-3. What was your breakdown of game one, John? Again, I, I think I'm um, the canning. I just was so impressed. I mean, you know, I, I was impressed by canning. Uh, going six innings, wouldn't get anybody to go six innings. You know, give up three runs, and then and then did the surprise. You know, the, I guess the biggest surprise was the bullpen came in and shut it down. Uh, I'm a little critical of the bullpen. I think on a, I think I have been for a couple of years now. So anytime they step up, I'm I'm more than willing to uh, praise them and uh, and give them some recognition. Well, don't forget that bullpen was the best of the best Angels had to offer, though, too. If we're going to play, if we're going to play devil's advocate, Cam Bedrosian had a nice inning, two strikeouts, two six seven. But then you have Ty Butcher closing it out. You have Hansel Robles closing it out. Those are the two guys you really expect to be your end game guys. So I guess you, what you really should be doing, John, and, and this is going to hurt you a little bit. This is going to make you gag. I know it is, but um, go on, praise him, Cam Bedrosian. Begin. Begin. Yeah, that's a, uh, <clears throat> hey, nice game, Cam. You know, Cam has great stuff. He really does. And quietly, he's having a solid year. 2.67 ERA, a 1.12 whip in yesterday, after yesterday's game. So he deserves some credit for it. I also think that I'd like to see him get more opportunities like this to maybe be the seventh inning guy now. Instead of having him be the, the opener, he's earning those things. He does have again great stuff, and you know every pitcher goes through their ups and downs. And maybe just maybe we're seeing the end of Cam's downs. Can hope flip, flip. if that is the case. You know, cross your fingers here. Then you have your seventh inning guy, your eighth inning guy, and your ninth inning guy. And I happen to remember back in the days of Brendan Donnelly, Scott Shields, and Troy Percival, and then later on. Brennan Donnelly, Scott Shields, and Frankie Rodriguez, you had a 7th, 8th, and ninth inning guy. So I'm just saying maybe he's moving past that, and that's what happened on Monday night. Those guys held it down. And by the way, Griffin Canning, I know you were really impressed with him having six innings, three runs. I understand a 4-5 ERA for the game is not what you want, but those three runs in the second inning, this, this is a young kid who after that, put it all together, and basically shut down the Dodgers. 
Uh, yeah, I agree. I said, I, I think I, I, some people might have seen on Twitter, I was uh, kind of making fun of my wife and daughter because they were critical when he uh, hit a couple batters. And uh, then I told him, you know, this is, he's, it's his first season. He's a rookie. And uh, they, they got very impressed. I mean, the kids, the kids, I mean, this is the year to, you know, to people like him to give him a little, give him a little rope and uh, see how he can shine. And, and, you know, yeah, you can put his mistakes into, you know, just a couple mistakes here, put him in that situation. But overall, solid, uh, solid performance. By the way, also in this game, Mike Trout, the Angels are down three to one. He's at two run home run to, to tie this game up once again, showing who he is, the best in the league. I don't want to hear anybody else's words. It's, we not, Cody need Bellinger. Him. Huh? it's not Cody Bellinger. It's not Cody Bellinger, right? Well, do we even need to go there? No, we do not, sir. <laughs> Mike <laughs> Trout. <laughs> Jeff Snyder and I are going to have a debate next time the Freeway Series comes around. But I'm looking at this, and it might not be a debate with him, by the way. He might agree. But the only, only thing I'll complain about for the Angels in that first game, 11 strikeouts. And I want to call this out right now because this is kind of BS. The umpiring... In the last few games here has been awful. This, the last game of the Seattle series, they saw it again in the in the Angels Dodgers game one. I am not thrilled with the way calls uh, balls and strikes are being called right now. It's a problem to me that it could affect big season games later on down the year. The thing is, is, is it doesn't make you know. I guess the golden rule is if you know where he's calling a strike, even though it's not normally a strike, and you and you're calling it that way on both sides. I think, hey, we got to adjust. This is his strike zone. But when you call it for one one guy and then you don't call that same pitch for another, that's when Twitter blows up. Because I, I, Twitter did notice uh, the umpires. I think I think you noticed. And uh, so I mean, it's you got to be consistent. I mean, and and he and they have not been consistent. No, they're not. I mean, I understand. You're in, everybody has an off day, and. You don't expect everybody to be as off as Angel Hernandez is when he's off. I mean, Angel Hernandez will miss a strike down the middle. But we're talking about pitches off the plate, a couple inches here, a couple inches there. You know, But you'll see the same pitch thrown to an Angels hitter, Mike Trout, for example, during the, during the end of the CL series and, and, of course, on Monday night. And then you'll see... That same pitch thrown by an Angels pitch to a Dodgers hitter, and like, what the heck? Now, no, am I saying that Mike Trout's being targeted or anybody else being targeted? No, but what I am saying is, in this case, it it, it did adversely affect the Angels. Maybe it will help the Angels down the line. I don't want either. I want balanced ump. I want umps doing their job and doing it well. That's all I'm asking for. As far as I'm concerned, if Mike Trout is upset about a call, he's it's legitimate. He's it's legitimately a bad call, and I, and I don't think he's upset about one one strike. He's upset about it being a strike one time and not being a strike the other time, and uh, that's where his uh, his uh, anger's uh, you know his his anger gets directed. Well, he never complains. I know that's when my do you point. See Mike Trout complain about anything. Yeah, I didn't say Kobe Bryant, Derek. I said Mike Trout. <laughs> whoa, whoa, let's get off the Kobe train here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Couldn't resist. <laughs> oh, Lori. All right, game two of the series. Angels win 5-3 again. This time, the, the, you know, the player of the game is the person you least expect to be the player of the game. <clears throat> uh, I can't say this. Justin Bohr. Homer's a deep center, a three-run shot, a 417-foot blast 
to put the Angels up five nothing at the end. The first the first at on, bat. First at bat. First at bat back. Then uh-huh. of course the Angels play home run ball the rest of the way. Top of the third, Max Muncy at the home run. Top of the fifth, Max Muncy at the home run. Top of the eighth. Now we're getting nervous. David Fries at the home run. The same thing is killing the Angel pitching staff. Luckily, these are all one-run shots. The Dodgers out-hit the Angels last night, uh, twelve to six. But once again, the pitching holds on. Who's the hero here? Well, I'm sorry. Hey, the Trojan got got through that lineup again as your opener. By the way, just saying, Felix Pena gets to win three and two-thirds innings because of two runs. Six hits, two of those home runs, both to Max Muncy, Justin Anderson, the inning in two-thirds, two walks. Something's wrong with Justin Anderson, man. He was lights out early in the year. Ty Buttry gives up a run, uh, the home run to David Freeze. Overall, three hits. So he was a little bit off his game last night. Two walks, too, by the way. And Hansel Robles get, does the, the five-out save and hangs in with three strikeouts to pick up the save overall. So the Angels are now 33 and 35. Dodgers fall to 45 and 23. Overall, what are your thoughts on the series there, John? It was just it was just a great series. Uh, a freeway series is uh, is uh, is is only fun if you you know if your side wins. Honestly, uh, I think that goes for both Dodger and Angel fans. And uh, I mean, this, they they just played a team that's been in the World Series two years in a row, and he's got the best record in baseball. And uh, we stood right up and and actually took him down two games in a row. I mean, if we have anything to be excited about, you know, that we get very few uh, uh, big celebrations this season so far. This is a big one. This is just you know a good moral victory for the fans, a chest pounding moment. And and uh, you know, it's not it's not we're, we're not better than them. Uh, you know, for, for the season, but you know, it's nice to win. It's nice to win against the Dodgers. It was really weird on geez, on Twitter. There was a Dodgers fan that piped up and, and just kind of come in there and talk trash. Like you wouldn't have won. You got lucky in game one. If Kershaw's pitching in game two, he's got that. And I'm sitting there going, "Lady, listen, just take the L's. You've got the better team this year. You, you're probably going back to the World Series." Why would you want to come in here and take our thunder for what a two-game series? For what you you you've got the better team. We all know you've got the better team on paper. You've got the better team on the field. You're forty-five and twenty-three. Why in the world do you need to come into our Twitter feed and talk trash for what? Just Derek, take the L's. I, I get. I think I've been portrayed here as a as a Dodger, uh, whatever heater, whatever you want to call me. But I'm actually, I'm actually, I married a Dodger fan who, uh, and she's an Angel fan too. But she is, she roots for the Dodgers when they're in the World Series, and uh, and her whole family, all her family, they're all Dodger fans. And I'm not painting them all with a big brush. I'm not even going to go to the. But you know, you go to Dodger Stadium wearing an Angel jersey, someone's going to say remarks. I'm not saying you're going to be threatened or dangerous or in danger, but people are going to make remarks to you you can walk into angel stadium wearing whatever you want and nobody's gonna say a word to you um it's just they are just and and again some of its passion these fans are they're so passionate and i talk about when you're at a when you're at an angel game oh my gosh i wanted to take a picture on the tv of all the hats the dodger hats that were in the right there by the third base line by the first base you know all behind the dugout i mean they they're you know they travel up at the uh, it's when you live here, you just they they talk a lot of smack <laughs> for a team well, that they, has. They do, they do. And but 
I mean, at least be smart about your smack. You know, I mean, if you're going to come over into our, our Twitter feed and talk trash about it, there are so many other arguments this fan could have made that would have made a lot more sense than Kershaw would have. Really? Because he didn't pitch. He's human, and he didn't pitch. You really don't know what's going to happen. I can tell you what did happen. And the Angels got two hard-fought wins. And, again, the Dodgers, are, I think, are the best team in the National League this year. They're going to load it up and down. They're going to be fine. They're, I don't see anybody in the National League beating them. I just don't. Unless, well, I mean, unless the Cubs get together. That's really it. Unless the Cubs get together. And, and that Kimbrell addition on the back end of their, back, of their bullpen might just do it. But nobody's threatening the Dodgers. So, come on. Really, seriously. And you're mentioning the fan base overall. Dodgers, Angels, you can't forget, out there in the Orange County area, I mean, those people are just more laid back, period. I mean, they are. Absolutely. It's just a, I mean, you're, it's amazing you can be one county over, and it's a different culture. I think I've mentioned this. I've mentioned this before. You know, they put on the get loud sign and everybody gets up and gets real loud. And they all and then as soon as the sign turns off, everybody said 90 percent of the people sit down and, you, you know, and you, you the Dodger fans and in, in Angel Stadium and Dodger Stadium, they let's go Dodgers from any one to any nine. It keeps going. And it's, I mean, they're good. We're good. They're, we're good fans. I mean, I'm a loud guy, so I'm not one of those people. I do get up and say, let's go, you know, but um, they're good fans. They're just not, they're just not vocal. Like Dodger fans aren't. Dodger fans are very vocal. Well, or, you know, maybe, maybe they're sitting back enjoying a hot dog. <laughs> I'm referencing the Facebook group, Halo's Nation. Those of you guys who are listening there. I'm right. <laughs> shout out to you guys. There was a running joke in that in that group. I think it's starting to calm down now. Where one of the fans, I think her name is Catherine, um, would take a picture of her eating a hot dog before every Angels game, and that's what I'm <laughs> referencing. I mean, it's just again, it's just a different fan base. I don't think there's anything wrong with going to a baseball game and chilling out. Uh, my experiences, and it's been a while, by the way. It's been a while since I've been to an Angels game out at home. I'll be heading out. In August, see the Cleveland series. I'm hoping to go before them, but I'm in the middle of Ohio, so you know. Anyways, they've always been laid back fans. Always. Even when Except the, for the World Series. Even. They gave us well, Thundersticks yeah. in the World Series. So that, that made it very, they made it they're the loudest it's ever been because we had actual devices to make noise for us instead of screaming. Well, that, and there were probably more alcohol involved, too. <laughs> but even, look, even back when the Rams were in Anaheim. And the the Rams fan base is more located out there. They were never all that loud either. You know, just there's a laid back group, and I'm not going to complain about that. I, you know, if you are low this team and you're buying tickets and you're going, and you and you, it's a good atmosphere, then great. The, the the atmosphere in Anaheim Stadium, Angel Stadium, is still a great place to watch a baseball game. It's a great place to watch a baseball game, and it's a great place to take your family to watch a, ba- a baseball game. Um, it's it's and it's a beautiful stadium, and the food's good, and the loca- and you can get in and get out in uh, you know a matter of minutes. Um, it's the, it's located near free, uh, three freeways. I mean, it's it's just so much easier than our neighbor to the uh, to the north uh, oh, to get oh. who's up on a hill. And, well, you uh, can go with the Dodger Stadium, and I hope some fans do go with the Dodger Stadium and enjoy the freeway series from the other way around. But we all know what it's like to drive up there. It's a pain in the neck. You get there, 
and you sit there for three hours and watch a beautiful view. There's no way around it. Watching a game in Chavez Ravine is a beautiful thing to, to behold, okay? But then the real fun begins, and that's when you're leaving. You're trying to get out of there, and that's not so fun. That's not fun at all. I mean, so there's positives and negatives for each place, and positives and negatives for each fan base, but you know what? I'm proud of being an Angels fan. I'm proud to cover this team. I'm proud to wear those colors, and you know, for a couple of days here, we'll enjoy the Angels-Dodgers series as for what it was. And I guess the question for you, and this is where we get down to the meat of it, is what really is it to you? Because you, I think, might have a different view about it than me. About Dodgers? About what? The, the rivalry? freeway series. The rivalry. The freeway series? I told you. Is it I, a rivalry I, to you? I, I do think it is a rivalry because I walk around in this. I go to my, my wife's family's events. I was just at a party last Sunday with her family who are Dodger fans. They're nice people, but they're always, they always make remarks to me because they know we're Angel fans. And, I mean, that goes on all over the place. Again, it is a rivalry because the, it, it, we get disrespected even though we're the only – and I, I don't mean angry. I'm not angry. I'm just saying it's you know smart aleck remarks. We get disrespected by Dodger fans who haven't won a World Series in 30-some-odd years, uh, uh, 32, right? And uh, um, – but and here's the thing too, and I always say because I I work in Southern California, I talk to people. I, I would kill. Would you not kill Derek to have lost two World Series in a row? Because you know what that means. That means we got a chance to go to the World Series again. And Dodger fan, most of my most of them, you know, they all call for. They're calling for uh, you know uh, manager's head. There, you know, it's like, come on, people, you've been to the World Series two years in a row, and this is kind of the sense that, of Dodger entitlement that they still have after all this, all this year, um, because you know they're the Dodgers and they're in Chavez Ravine. They had Vin Scully, and and then you even talk about we won our World Series with who? Mike Sosha, Dodger catcher. <laughs> so it's like, uh, so yeah, it's just that that's always gone on. I am very proud to be an Angel fan, and as you see, uh, and. Uh, but, yes, I think there is a rivalry. I don't think it's on TV. I don't think it gets portrayed that way. I don't think that either really cares about the other because we don't face each other until the World Series. But this is a bragging rights thing. Well, jeez, yeah, oh, Pete. I think Jeff Snyder said it best when we had him on from Locked On Dodgers. It's not really a, a rivalry between the teams. It's a rivalry between the fans. I don't think these two teams care about the other. I really don't. I don't think that it's something the players get up for. Hey, we're playing the Dodgers. We have to, you know, it's a rivalry match. No, I don't really think so at all. I think the fans are like the ones who are, we have to win. We cannot, I can't go to work tomorrow and be around that Dodgers fan if, I, if we lose. I just can't do it. Cannot do it. Exactly. If he says one word to me, I will stab him. Exactly. I don't think it matters to the players either. I really don't. Um, but it does matter. It does matter, I think, even more to Angels fans um, that we that we have wins. That, you know, we win these things because, yeah, because when we go to work, I worked in Whittier for four years. That's uh, a Dodger, Dodger land. And I had my Angel office with all my uh, bobbleheads up. And, and there's very, I have a banner and I had all this noticeable stuff. And I'd have people walk past me and, and make, you know, jokingly, not angry, but make snide remarks to me to, you know, to laugh and and stuff like that and it's um it doesn't bother me but it's the kind of stuff that you doesn't turn around the other way an angel fan's never going to walk past a dodger fan's desk and say something to them because it's not in our nature 
Uh, it's in mine. I would. <laughs> <laughs> Better pick the right guy, though. You got to pick the right guy. That, I don't know that I would be snide about it, though. I always go like, oh, gosh, a Dodger fan. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Big smile on my face. You'll that, never get anything more than that. That's what they now. do. And we, and we smile and we, we, we talk and we joke. But I just, it's, uh, yeah, you got to be there. <laughs> well, I, I look at the Angels' rivalries and I, I think, well, teams I consider the Angels to be have a rivalry with. Oakland. I hate Oakland. I do. As a fan. As a, as a person who, to cover their games, they are always entertaining to watch. But as a fan, I don't want to watch. I don't want Oakland to ever be good. I never want to see Oakland win. I'm serious. They travel very well, too. They travel. They're kind of like Golden State fans. Uh, they travel very well. So there's always a large the contingent fans? of uh, yeah, so there's what? There's, there's four or five of them there? In, in Angel Stadium? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all five of them. And then they bring, I don't know. I don't know who the other guys are. <laughs> I think they hand out hats on the way in. But uh, <laughs> they do travel. They, they are a let's go Oakland uh, sort of a. And they came yeah, John, they, they can't show for their own stadium, man. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm just telling you. I hear "Let's go Oakland" uh, when I go to an Oakland game. Yeah, I can't really tag a, a big, a big, a big competitive on the field rival that I think the Angels clinch their clinch their fists and say, "Ha ha, we beat them." I'll give you what I'll make a case for. That would be the Yankees, especially since the Sochair, because. The Socha Angels always play the Yankees tough. Always, there was a while there when Socha, when the Socha Angels were had a series lead over the Yankees until the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, I turn the Angels Yankees on. I, I expect some good stuff there, and it goes back again to that upset in the two thousand two divisional series, which I'm sure we all remember, right? Where the Angels went there, and the, and the Yankees were supposed to just swap them away. They were supposed to swap them away, and guess what didn't happen? What happened, Derek? What oh, happened? How did oh, it gee. end? <laughs> I think we know exactly how. They, but then a couple of years later, the Angels go back, and they play the Yankees again in the playoffs. And they beat them again. So I just go in there, and I, I appreciate the, the Angels playing the Yankees, the A's. The Rangers, to me, never have really been... It's never. I mean, they're division rivals, but nah. And the I guess the Mariners. You go back to the ninety, the ninety four, ninety five, ninety six seasons, ninety seven seasons, and then that, especially ninety five, that extra extra game, the tiebreaker. Does he yeah. go on the playoffs? Remember that? The, yeah. the, the one that was in the Kingdom. Tim Salmon yeah. wrote about in, in his book. And then of course the two thousand one pennant race between between again the Angels, the A's, and the, the Mariners. I have a have a bit of a you know hard spot towards the Mariners. This is my view. Well, you're getting your revenge now. If not against the Angels, at least against the rest of the league. What do you mean? Mariners aren't doing very well. Yeah, but you know what? The Mariners just just took two out of three from the Angels this last series. It still it still bothers me. I'm not gonna lie. It still bothers me. It bothers me, it bothers me the way the Angels play against the Mariners early in the season too. Because I look at that team. And I see, we've talked, talked, I think they're horrible. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why I said that you're getting your revenge because they're not a good team. But, again, the Angels don't always demonstrate that to the rest of the, the country, but they're not a good team. Well, at any given day, I think when we talk to, to Neil Solons later, 
one thing he really mentions at the end of the interview, and I'm, I'm really asking him how, how he predicts it, and I know you and I would like to make predictions on how the series go, and he really put it in perspective for me, and that is you really can't predict these things because you never know who's going to slump. You never know who, how the pitching matchup is going to go. You're never going to know how a team is going to play in, in a certain situation. And so we can make a prediction and then fall flat in the face. I think we'll still make them because it's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still fun. But overall... You know, he's right. You can't predict these things. Nobody, nobody with a grain of sanity thinks the Angels pitch the way they pitch the series against the Dodgers, and nobody thinks they win, two, they win both games. If you say, I thought the Angels would win both games, I have a crack pipe with your name like etched into it because you've already been smoking it. I'm you, you know, I tend to. You know, I tend to be a little hyperbolic, but no, I would not have predicted. Uh, I would not have predicted them doing what they did to the to the Dodgers. No, absolutely, that was a very, very, very pleasant surprise. Well, somebody came on Twitter later on and said, "Well, hey, you know, since the since the social era began, the Angels are sixty eight fifty four against the the Dodgers." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, you're right, but it's not the social era anymore, and this team is really good." This Dodgers team is good. It w- it should not surprise anybody if the Dodgers get back to the World Series and actually win at this time. They're that good. They they have very I, few instances. They really do. I fully expect them to, but there are a couple things standing in their way again. Well, one thing that Jeff Snyder was who was really smart with, and he said their bullpen. If the Angel gets their bullpen, there's some problems there. And that's how the heck they won Game One. They got their bullpen. He nailed it dead on. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about Joe Kelly and uh, what a prized free agent he was. I think a lot of I think some Angel fans would have liked to assign him. And this is I think I think Joe Kelly. Well, at least till now, it's a little. I'm not going to write him off for the whole season. Hopefully, he he does recover because he I he really I he looked uncomfortable the other night. Well, but, he, um, he looked more than that, John. John, he was like on the mound, stepping off off all awkwardly, kind of shaking a little bit, and then getting back on there. The guy looked scared. Yeah, deer in the headlights is what I said before we started the show, and um, but you know that's kind of like a, you know a, 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 an example of you know everybody says let's just go out and get that big free agent and shore up our bullpen or you know shore up our pitching. It doesn't always work out. You go spend the money, and uh, you know and, and Appler this article I think that we're going to go over uh, next time. You know he said we we've got flexibility now. We've got we're, we're we're you know we're patient and we have money. He says we have money. We definitely have money right now. So uh, uh, you know, so you go throw money at people and that ties you up. So I I, 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 I keep referring back to the Dodger interview. I think really, folks, if you get a chance, go back to the um, the last interview with Jeff Snyder from um, from Locked On Dodgers. And I asked him about what's the Dodgers' window. And he made this explanation about what the Dodgers' philosophy is. And it's the right philosophy. Their, their, their idea is to always be in the window. And that is basically by having a farm system that is stocked and built and continually developing talent across the board. Now, why do I make this equation here? I make that equation because that's what the Angels are trying to do. We keep talking about, well, why is Epler not on the hot seat here? Why... Is he? Why do you think he's doing a good job? And because we know, again, we've said this a million times, where this team came from and where they're going. The Angels just signed Kyron Paris yesterday. 
we might not see this 17-year-old kid in the majors for seven more years. Think about it. By the time they get, he'll be 24 years old, 23 years old if he makes it. Okay? These kids take time to develop. Their farm system takes time to develop. If you want to always be in the window, you have to have a loaded, rebuilt, well-stocked, well-just-in-depth farm system. And that's what Epler's doing. So get off his case. You you mean you mean like you mean like the Dodgers or the like the Houston Astros? Well, yeah, you mean I'm not, I'm not saying hey, right we now? need to be Dodgers South. What I'm saying is you want to have that kind of structure though. Another team that does this really well, guess what? The Rays. We're playing them tomorrow. They no, build from the inside. They have a sixty million dollar payroll. I was admiring them. I'm telling you, yeah, yeah. I want to be like that. I want it. This is what I want, and it doesn't come overnight because you yeah. can't. You can't. Uh, sign seasoned, you know, rookies. Yes, you, you have to. Yeah. You have to. You have to develop them. You don't want to be that. You don't want to be a team that goes out there and just goes to the the quick kill and then kills your entire window for the future. You want to have enough depth in that farm system. So, you know, get off his case a little bit. Let let's see what he does. Let's see how his his people are now starting to get to the majors and. I think right now we're starting to see the fruits of that. A lot of these young guys are contributing. Canning, Suarez, these are his his people that he, he drafted. Got a plan. So, we're, and we're going to discuss this on our next podcast. I'm looking forward to it. The uh, yeah, we're going to talk about it tomorrow. We'll also tomorrow we'll talk to Carlos Colazo. But today we have our also our preview with the Tampa Bay Rays. Their play by play guy, one of their guys. He also does their pregame and postgame show. This is Neil Solons. Check it out for the Rays, our preview. All right, folks, I'm here with Neil Solons, the play-by-play guy for the Tampa Bay Rays. Neil, thanks for joining us today. How are you? You got it. Thanks very much for, uh, for having me on. Well, we're glad you could take the time. I know you've already been busy. You already called the Rays game earlier today, the 6-2 loss, the A's. I was watching. Tough, tough one for the well for the bullpen in the eighth inning. But uh, overall, this this Rays team though is very interesting to me. Very interesting. They won ninety games last year, and uh, I'm a little surprised to see them contending with such a low payroll. So, what has been the key to their success overall this year and last year? Um, well, I mean, I think you know the, the Rays have always had to deal in in the division with the Red Sox and Yankees with the fact that they don't have the same financial resources. But I think the, the big area where they've excelled, you know, aside from the game against the A's, by and large, is pitching a defense. I mean, they still have the team that's allowed the fewest runs in in uh, in, in the league. Um, so pitching has been a big part of the story. Um, and, you know, I think the defense, by and large, has been pretty good. And I think that, uh, they've had enough timely hitting uh, that's allowed them to be successful. You know, they've gone the last four seasons from 68 wins to 80 to 90 um, to this year hopefully more than 90 um, and getting back to the postseason. So it, it's been a slow build. Maybe on a national scale people haven't seen it, but, you know, I think for people in the Tampa Bay area it's been kind of fairly, um, uh, I would say, expected, but um, it certainly was fairly obvious that they were kind of building toward this. 
What was the key to their build? Because it wasn't too long ago they were in a World Series and they were among one of the best teams in the league. Also, they fell off the fell off the earth a little bit, and now they're back. And it's a pretty quick turnaround going from sixty eight wins to what I think will probably be a ninety five ish win ninety ninety nine win season this year. The way they're going, anyways. Well, well, I mean, if you look at it, um, a few things. Uh, one, from '08 to '13, they won 90 games, five out of six years, and then uh, you know, '14 to '17, they were under 500. Now, two of those years, they won 80 games, so it wasn't like they were that far below. Um, and other than the '90 loss season, I think the other the other season they were under 500 was a 77 win team, so they weren't that far below the the break even mark. Um, the big thing was. From 08 to 13, they drafted near the end because they were winning, and they really didn't draft well, and they weren't doing great um, in terms of international science. Um, and what I think, you know, they, they still continue to make good trades. The pro scouting department has been terrific through all of this, and I think it has to be because they can't go out and get, you know, a lot of the big play creations that the Yankees Red Sox uh, But their drafting has been much better the last few years. They've done a superb job internationally. And I think when you, you're able to get players from all three of those buckets, um, the Major League Baseball draft, domestically, internationally, players from the Dominican Republic of Venezuela, and then adding that with doing a good pro scouting job and getting uh, really strong additions uh, on the trading side, you know, it usually adds to a fair amount of So all that in mind, because it's becoming pretty clear the Rays run a very strong baseball operation. But... Of late, we've been seeing some, some national articles out, especially about the race attendance issues. So enlighten us a little bit here on the other side. We're, we're kind of a visiting team coming in there. We see the team struggling attendance-wise. Help us out here. What's going on um, that the race have had such attendance issues, not just this year but over the years? And has it been a problem for a team that, quite frankly, probably deserves to play in front of more people? Well, I mean, I think there's a few things at play. I mean, I think, one, uh, you know, I, I look at things mostly from the baseball side. As a guy who hosts the pre- and post-game show and, and, and fills in on play-by-play, to me, uh, I focus on baseball. Because, to me, the people who call our, our shows to listen to our broadcast on a nightly basis care about the team. Those are the people who already care. They're already in the building. Um, you know, in terms of attendance, um, you know, you're you're in a position where there's been a long uh, battle uh, for a new stadium. So I think that's kind of been ongoing, um, and they have you know they've been working hopefully toward that, um, and hopefully taking you know steps forward in the near term. Um, and then I think you know that that's probably been one issue. And then I think the other is um, that over this period, you know, you're still very young as a franchise. You still really haven't gotten what I would call generational fans. Um, the, the you know the TV and, and radio audience has been strong and building throughout all of this. Um, so I think eventually, if you continue to win, you know, hopefully it, it results in people coming to the ballpark. Um, they've done some additional promotions during the course of this homestand, and I think it will lead to better crowds, uh, especially for this series against the Angels. And you know, hopefully the team just continues to play well um, against what I think is a, a really challenging schedule in the month of June if they're able to get through that and still be within five games of the Yankees in the East but I think they have a really good shot at the division so just you actually hit on something I was going to next and with all the things about the ballpark and attendance issues and the baseball operation which again I'm going to say again is outstanding I admire it greatly can you give us a little more understanding on the state of the Rays and their relationship with their fan base right now well 
don't know when, when you say relationship with their fan base. I mean, the radio ratings, TV ratings have been mm-hmm. consistent all the way through. Um, you know, sometimes that doesn't translate for a relatively new franchise where, um, you know, it's not like uh, you people here grew up on, you know, where, where the, you know, a 30-something, 40-something, 50-something necessarily grew up on the Rays and, and the ownership changed midway through when they won in 08. I mean, the new ownership took over, uh, you know, a few years prior to that. So, um, you know, you haven't had baseball for a long term. And then on top of that, there are a lot of transplants to the area um, who may have been fans of other teams. And maybe their kids are growing up Rays fans, but they haven't had kids yet. So, you know, that's why I talk about a generational fan base. I mean, the Angels have existed for, what, close to 60 years now. So, um, when you get to that, you're having, uh, you know, kids and then kids of kids um, become fans of your team. And I think when you do that over time, that, that results in a stronger attendance base. And, and, you know, I think the, the other challenge is that the stadium itself is not as centrally located as others. Uh, you know, from a demographic standpoint, I think it's the only stadium where less than 50% of their audience is within a 30-minute drive. It's probably in the 30-some percent total. So, you know, those things probably are all factors and contributors. So, actually, we can't understand to a large degree because in the area where we're located at, there is a large transient fan base. So, whenever the Red Sox come in, whenever the Yankees come in, pretty much when anybody comes in <laughs> that's been around for a while, they will fill our, you know, our ballpark up. And it gets a little frustrating when you're seeing a lot of Yankee fans and a lot of Red Sox fans and a lot of Indians fans or whatever else who are there. But it's something that... Even as the Angels, you know, they've been around 60 years, but even they pale in comparison to the teams that have been around for 100, you know, 100 plus with the Yankees and the Red Sox. So I totally get it in that it takes time to build that fan base, and I'm sure the ballpark you're looking for would be much more desirable to what you have now. I mean, that's how I would see it. I, well, I think, you know, you're you're trying to create a state-of-the-art facility mm-hmm. as well, and, and all of that, again, it, you know, you can't, I think, from a, from a broadcaster standpoint, from a, a baseball operation standpoint, from even a player standpoint, you know, all you worry about is what's present. Um, I think when you allow other things to, um, you know, impact how you view things, it can, you know, when you're worried about what isn't instead of what is, um, it can impact your overall performance. And I think, you know, part of the reason the Rays are successful is they're very, you know, they do a great job of focusing on the here and now and dealing with what they have and not what they don't have. Uh, and, and I think that's why they've been, you know, one of the winning, one of the teams that, you know, right up there in terms of uh, the top third of victory in the last, what, since 08, the last 11, 12 years in Major League Baseball. And they're, and they're doing well this year. And looking at the current, Series coming in here. The Angels come in at thirty-three and thirty-five. The Rays now forty-one and twenty-six. Do you, do you guys know who's pitching tomorrow for the Rays? I didn't see. Yeah, I know Tyler Skaggs is pitching for the Angels. Any update on that? Yeah, Ryan Yarbrough is going to start. You know, there are times where they've used what's called an opener in front of them, uh, but he will start uh, the game on uh, Thursday, um, and then he'll be followed by uh, Blake Snell and Charlie Morton, and then the Rays will decide whether they want to use an opener in front of uh, Jalen Beeks or not. A lot of it, you know, when the Rays use an opener, a lot of it is, is dependent on the other team's lineup, and a lot of it also is dependent upon how their bullpen stacks up. Um, I would think that at some point during the stretch they've been using a seven-man bullpen, that they probably will get back to an eight-man bullpen, 
um, which will allow for a little bit more versatility in terms of how they go about using arms um, in that regard. Now the guys are going to face this series, including Snell and Morton, especially Morton eight and two one zero ERA. How is this series stacking up pitching wise against the Angels? I mean, you know, obviously Charlie and, and Blake have been very good, but the Angels have a very good lineup. I mean, they're coming off their, you know, what I would consider their best short series of the season, beating the Angels in back-to-back games, and a lineup that has Mike Trout and Shohei Otani is nothing to sneeze about. So, I mean, it comes down to, with any team, it comes down to pitch execution, it comes down to, um, you know, how well you can do it, especially in today's day and age. A lot of it comes down to keeping the ball in the ballpark. Uh, you know, the teams that, you know, for instance, I mean, Oakland, I think, played well, um, but they also hit, you know, two key home runs today and two key home runs yesterday. Um, and those are the kind of things. That, and the race at the home runs in the game on uh, on Monday. Uh, and, and a lot of times, um, you know, especially baseball today, home runs play a big factor in, in uh, results. Well, and you're, you're heading exactly where I was going. The Angels have given up a ton of home runs this year. I mean, unbelievable amounts. Killed them in game to game. It's been bullpen to star up and down the entire pitching staff. It's been a major problem. How does that Rays lineup work, in, especially in the power alleys, especially in Tropicana Field? Well, I mean, it's got to change based on who's pitching. Um, you know, I, I think that... They're going to have to probably, because they're facing three straight lefties, their lineup's going to have a you know a different look than it will against what Griffin Canning on Sunday in the last game of the series. Um, you know, the guys who normally will play uh, every day are probably Tommy Fannin left. Um, and then after that, a lot of it will depend upon matchups. Um, you know, Willie Adamas plays most of the time at shortstop, but they're probably about to get Joey Wendell back off the I.L., um, so you'll probably, you know, Joey will play some second, he'll play some third, he'll play some short, he may play the outfield on that, you know, uh, Brandon Lau can move around. Um, so they're going to be versatile with their players. I think that's probably also been one of the keys for the race success, that, you know, their goal is to keep guys fresh, and they've had a fair amount of injuries to deal with, especially on the position player side, um, but they're starting to kind of turn things in the right direction in that regard, and hopefully that allows them to get through this tough stretch. So, Speaking of that lineup you have, though, what are the strengths and the weaknesses of the weaknesses of the Rays lineup right now? Well, you know, I think when they're going well, um, you know, I think probably the biggest issue is they've had injuries. Um, you know, Austin Bowes obviously has been terrific, but he missed three weeks with a bad thumb. Um, you know, Tommy Pham has probably been one of the more consistent performers, but he missed uh, about a week with a calf issue. Um, Josh Diaz got hit by a pitch in New York and missed, you know, a couple of weeks. Uh, there was a stretch there. Well, Joey Wendell's only played eight games coming into this series because of uh, a broken bone in his wrist from getting hit by a pitch. Um, you know, I think that, you know, staying healthy is a big part of any lineup uh, in Major League Baseball. Uh, unless you're going to have your villains perform superbly as New York has. I think probably the guys who filled in New York have probably done as well, uh, or even in some cases better than the guys they're filling in for. Uh, to, to have success, especially for, you know, a club like the Rays, yes, they have depth, but, you know, they also need their, you know, their, their main guys to be able to stay on the field as much as possible. And when they're on the field, you know, they have a pretty good consistent lineup. Um, you know, the first two and a half weeks, they were 14-4, and four, and I think in large part because the lineup was very healthy and performing very well. 
One thing you guys over there have, have done is the opener. You mentioned it earlier. And the Angels this year turned to the opener quite a bit. We've emulated the use of the, of the opener from you. On our side, it's been so-so in terms of results. But how have the Rays used the opener both this year and last year, and how has it worked well for them overall? Well, you know, part of the reason they used it was because of injuries. Uh, that was the first reason. And I guess, you know, I, I'm guessing that part of the reason the Angels went to it was multiple injuries um, that they had in terms of their pitching staff. You know, going into the year, the Rays had an injury to Nathan Ovaldi. They had an injury to Chris Archer, and then Jake Faria got hurt. Uh, before this year started, in terms of spring training, they lost Jose De Leon and Brent Honeywell through their better pitching prospect, Tommy John surgery. So all of a sudden, a team that appeared to be very deep in potential starting pitching was actually fairly thin. Um, and playing in the American East against the Yankees and the Red Sox, those are very, very good lineups. And if you're having to face Judge and Stan, and Sanchez and on and on, um, and you're an inexperienced pitcher who maybe instead of being your third, fourth, and fifth starter is your sixth, seventh, or eighth guy, or even ninth in some cases, um, it probably made more sense to try and put those guys in the best position to win. So a lot of times what the Rays did was they started an opener, and then they put a pitcher behind them who was, in essence, your starter guy, your, your bulk guy, and they would come in into a game where they would be slotted against you know, maybe the six, seven, eight, nine guys to begin. And they're facing those guys three times through instead of having to face Judge and Stan and Sanchez three times a game. So uh, it made a whole lot of sense from that regard. And then I think the other contrast is is that normally the guy who opened the game was a sharp contrast from the guy he followed. Um, Orion Stanek, who throws 98-99, would be followed by a left-hander who throws in the upper 80s to around 90 and Ryan Jarborough. So, you know, hitting is about timing and pitching is about disrupting it. And I think the Rays did some good things, smart things in terms of how they set up um, their pitchers in the best position to succeed. And then beyond that, I think the pitchers themselves bought in. I, I don't think it can happen without, you know, the staff, the players buying into what the staff thinks will put them in the best position to succeed. It's been a very, very unselfish, fun to work with group. And I think that's a, a large part of the reason why they've been successful. All those things in mind, the lineups, the, in, the guys the Angels are bringing in, uh, including Otani, Trout, and now, of all people, Tommy LaStella <laughs> and Albert Pujols. This yeah. lineup's pretty top-heavy power-wise, but we're missing two guys, Andrew Simmons and uh, Justin Upton. How, with, with that lineup coming in, what are your three keys to the series, if you have them, for the Rays? Well, I don't know about. I don't know if I'd look at keys to a series. Um, you know, I think it comes down to how well you play and how all the other team plays. I mean, you know, I look at this. I say I talk about this a lot in pre and post game shows with the Rays. That a lot of it is not only who you face, but when you face them. Um, you know, the Rays went into Boston, won three out of four. I think part of it is because the Rays played particularly well, but I also think the Rays got Boston at the right time. Uh, you know, the Angels just came off a very good series, you know. Some teams play extremely well, you know, and they have to go to a West Coast or East Coast trip and maybe aren't as sharp. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, the Rays, if they, if, when they're winning, usually they're they're limiting their walks as a pitching staff. They're limiting their, they're making more plays defensively than they're not. 
and they come up with a timely hit, but that's probably the key for 30 teams out of 30 teams of Major League Baseball. The good teams just do it more consistently than others. The bad teams that lose 100 games and win only 60 probably aren't as good as those three things. Uh, those three things. So, in the end for you, I mean, are you allowed as the, as the pregame, postgame guy to make a prediction on the series? I don't know. I never make any prediction on any series because I think you don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, I think the Angels are a very good team. I think the Rays are a very good team. I mean, you look at the Angels now and say, well, you know, what's, you know, I mean, they have probably the best player in baseball with Mike Trout. Shohei Otani is a terrifically talented athlete, while, you know, Albert Pujols is closer to the end of his career than beginning. He's, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer without question. Um, and that's on top of the fact that Tommy Lucella has played extremely well, and, you know, there are enough guys in that lineup who can hit the long ball. So, I mean, it comes down to who plays better. Um, you know, it's not about wanting to or not wanting to make predictions, but, you know, it's hard to predict what's going to happen on a daily basis. If the Rays play well, they have a good chance to win. Um, if they don't, they won't They won't win. Um, you know, for me, this is the toughest part of the schedule for this group. They're playing 21 games in 20 days. They have only one day off between now and the All-Star break. Um, you know, I think it's a very tough test. For me, I just kind of look at the season in chunks more than anything. Um, if this team plays well enough that they're within five games of the Yankees before the All-Star break and they're healthy, uh, and they're able to get Tyler Glass now back right after the All-Star break, who probably was pitching as well as anybody in baseball, um, you know, I think they have a chance to compete for the American League East title this year. And, you know, and, and that would be special. Um, you know, but, I, you know, it... it it, if you, you know, whatever you think you know, like, if I would have looked at the Boston series, I would have said, you know, you'd be fortunate to, you know, split four games going to their place, especially the way they're going, but they also didn't have J.D. Martinez for all four games. I think that changed a lot with the complexion of the Red Sox lineup. Um, you know, how much does Andrew and Simmons impact them defensively playing on turf? I don't know. Uh, you know, I guess we'll get a look. Um, and there are some guys who just don't like playing on the turf. So, um, you know, the Angels have won here a lot, so who knows how, how the four-game series will go. It's really interesting hearing you talk about that in terms of just the game itself. It, I think sometimes we, you know, as podcasters, broadcasters, whatever we're doing, journalism, we tend to get locked into, well, we're going to make a prediction based on what we see on paper. And yet, we did that this week with the Dodgers series, and nobody here on our staff thought for sure that the Angels would take two from the Dodgers. The way the Angels have been playing in the kind of the series with Seattle, and then Dodgers come back off an emotional win on Sunday against the Giants with a big home run and everything, I never would have thought the Angels would have won two and then head, heading on this road trip. So I totally get what you're saying, is that it's 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 not a matter of any one moment. It's 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 every game. It's every every party is in the chunks as you said it and I really appreciate you pointing that out because it's true it's not so easy to predict you can't I don't know how people in Vegas do it <laughs> but well, we certainly can't well you know for me I, I just know that it's a long year and, and you know look the Yankees are the team right now above the race standings by a half game if they were idle here on, uh, on Wednesday um they have lost a home series to the White Sox. They've lost a home series to the Orioles, and they've lost a home series to Detroit. Um, the only series the Rays have lost have been to Oakland and um, the Twins and the Yankees and Red Sox. Um, 
just, you know, the Yankees are the team that now has the upper hand. And if you would look at their schedule and say, well, they're going to lose series to those four teams, um, you know, probably many people would be surprised. But, you know, I would say any series, anybody can beat anybody. I mean, it's more about, you know, if I were to predict, the, you know, in the standings, you know, I would expect the Rays to be ahead of the Blue Jays and the and the Orioles, um, because those teams are, you know, in a rebuild mode and don't have a ton of pitching. They can still beat you in an individual series, but over the long haul, over 162 games, you expect to be better. And then to beat out the Red Sox and Yankees, you just have to be more consistent than those clubs. All right, so I just want to ask you, where can people follow you on social media to keep track of what you're doing? So they can follow me um, at Neil Solons. Um, uh, which, if they can't spell it, it's uh, S-O-L-O-N-D-Z, um, and that's on Twitter. Uh, I usually don't. I use Twitter more for baseball and more in. I don't use my Instagram account much for more than just kind of family stuff. To get, uh, most, you know, two, two daughters I'm pretty proud of, and um, I try and uh, kind of separate the two. All right, Neil, thank you so much for taking time. A very, a very great perspective. We enjoy talking some baseball. If you get a little bit of update on what's going on in Tampa Bay, especially, that's something that I know as I've been watching the game as a baseball fan, I've been very interested in, and I've, I have had those questions asked of me um, coming in this series. So thank you for filling, for filling us in on that as well. And hopefully we can talk again next series when the season's flushed out a little bit more. You got it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Have a great one. All right, really neat interview with Neil. Thanks a lot so much, Neil, if you get a chance to listen to it. We appreciate you coming on the show. It was a really nice time just talking some baseball. Any closing thoughts today, John? I just hope we keep this momentum that we, we, we got against the uh, World Series runner-ups So uh, and, and bring it over to Tampa Bay. Well, it's four-game set. We'll see how this goes. All right, folks, it is time for us to hit the road. So, before we go, we do want to ask you if you are looking to sponsor us. We could really appreciate a little bit of help to keep the lights on here. Reach out to us at talkinghalos at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail at 657-666-5453. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at talkinghalos or search for our page on Facebook. You can find me at Derek C. Paul, DC Paul, and John Crane at Jake's Trade John on Twitter. Don't forget some Spreaker, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, we're pretty much everywhere. I think the last major outlet we have yet to get on is iHeartRadio, and we're working on that one, that one as well. So, find us, subscribe, leave reviews. So, for John, this is Derek C. Paul saying, take it easy, go Halos, and we'll be with you tomorrow night for a special Thursday show. Have a great one. We'll see you later. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.
You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.